Well, uh, good morning or good afternoon, uh, whatever time it is when you're viewing this online service. We're glad you're with us. And uh, I want to I want to tie into what Jason said uh, right before that song, that this is a passage of scripture in Malachi where the theme of it really is um, the issue of being faithful or faithless. And before we do that, I want to remind us that God in his very character is faithful. One one of the things we need to do when we read a passage is to is to ask ourselves what is what is the heart of God in this passage, and I think once we get into it, you're going to see this that that the heart of God that's shown in this passage is that God is a faithful God, and because He is, He wants His people to be faithful, and. Again, one of his attributes is his faithfulness. I want to look at some scripture passages here just to, just to let you remember, if you will, of how faithful God is. When we say he's faithful, it means he's totally trustworthy. Uh, so he says uh, to Moses in Exodus 34, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In Lamentations, he says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 25, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. We know about God that he is totally trustworthy in his promises. His words will always come to pass. Um, In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Uh, God doesn't lie about anything. When we think about people being faithful, that's a character trait. They, they tell the truth. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So the idea that God doesn't tell lies supports that he is a faithful God. We're told in the scriptures, God is faithful to forgive If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John. Uh, Jesus is our faithful high priest. When you think about how far we've been so far in Malachi and the faithlessness of the priest, it's good to know that Jesus is a faithful high priest. The writer of Hebrews records this. For this reason, he had to make He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might turn aside God's wrath, taking away the sins of the people. Because God is faithful, we know he will not abandon his people. Deuteronomy 4, for the Lord your God is merciful, a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers. 
God is faithful in that he will always be with his people. And God will remain faithful. This is an amazing promise right here. Even though we may deny him. 2 Timothy 2, we, we hear these words. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. The Christ follower can take comfort in knowing that God has been faithful to his promises and since God's word is always true, we can place complete trust in that. Because God is in his very character faithful, he desires faithfulness for those who have trusted him. That's you and I. If we've said yes to Jesus, one of the characteristics we need to display is one of being faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, um, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So that's just, the, that's the intro for this heart of God in this passage is God is faithful and he expects his people, his covenant people to be faithful. So I want to I'm going to read our text right now, and I want to point out a phrase that it's repeated five times in these verses. And in the translation I'm reading from, it's the phrase breaking faith or broken faith. In your translation, it may be faithless. Uh, but let's, let's read these verses, and then we'll kind of walk through them. Um, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, "'Have we not all one Father?' Did not God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. The detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one the flesh and spirit they are his and why one because he was seeking godly offspring so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth i hate divorce says the lord i hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment says the lord almighty so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith so maybe in order to get a better idea of what this phrase means, here, here are the way a couple of different translations translate it. Uh, in the King James, in the New American Standard, it reads, uh, deal treacherously. The New Living Translation and the ESV puts it this way, faithless. The Amplified Bible uh, uh, combines the two of them. It says, deal faithlessly and treacherously. It's this idea of someone uh, of, of breaking something that's supposed to be protected and it's tied very close to another word in, in this passage and it's the word covenant. 
in verses 10 and 14, at its most basic level, covenant has come up a couple of times in Malachi, but at its most basic level, this is what a covenant is. It's an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. And so a human covenant, for example, marriage, falls under that general definition. In a, in a covenant with God, what we would call a divine covenant, um, when God establishes a relationship like this with his people, uh, it's, it's one where God binds himself uh, by his own oath to keep his promises. That's why when we read all those verses that we opened with about God being faithful, that's why when the covenant um, gets broken, a covenant that God makes with people, it doesn't dissolve the covenant. The covenant never goes away. It can't be destroyed. It can only be broken, if that makes uh, sense. God, God keeps the covenant at great cost on his end. So um, here's how I want to look at this passage. So if God is faithful and he wants his followers to be faithful, we have an obligation then to keep the faith. When, when it says here, don't break the faith, well, the opposite of that would be true. Then if you're not going to break it, you need to keep it. And so we need to keep the faith, faith first of all, with others. So look, in, look at verse 10. We need to keep the faith with others. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? The, the word profane there actually means to dissolve or to, or to tear apart. And when, so when we think about as Christ followers being part of a church, um, I, I wonder if in... in the time you've been a member of a church, if um, another believer has wounded you? Uh, my guess is yes. Uh, and you may be carrying that wound with you right now. Um, and maybe uh, your lean right now is to dissolve that relationship or to avoid people you don't like, treating them like um, they don't even exist. But what Malachi is saying to us here is, uh, we have one Father, one God who created us. He's called us, saved us, called us into this crazy family called the church. And we are to do everything in our power to guard our relationships. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. He says, make every effort, it's effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says to the church at Rome, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we need to keep the faith with one another, with our fellow Christ followers. It's, it's on us to obey the commands of Christ, to love one another, to bear with one another, and to keep the faith and not break the covenant um, that God has established between us as Christ followers. The second thing, if we're, if we're going to follow the example of God being faithful, is this. We need to keep the faith with God. Look in verses 11 through 12. So, um, basically, this idea of not uniting with an unbeliever. God's people had uh, destroyed their promises to each other, but they had also disengaged from God himself. Look, verse, in, verse 11 begins with, some pretty strong words here. 
it says Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed. An abomination, if you will. In, in some uh, translations, this morally disgusting thing has happened. It, it, was, it was reserved for the most horrible thing you could imagine. Uh, it, it's the same word, actually, that's translated profane in verse 10. Um, and when you think about the sanctuary uh, of the Lord, desecrating the sanctuary, uh, imagine the worst possible thing uh, you can think of happening in a sanctuary. Once you have that in your mind, it's worse than that. God, God is saying, um, they've desecrated my sanctuary, and how have they done it? The answer, you see the answer here in verse 11, by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. And in a lot of cases, it says they're, they're divorcing their wives and they're marrying women who worshiped false gods. In Numbers 25, the, we get this story where the men, they begin indulging in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited the men then to make sacrifices to foreign gods. And it actually starts happening in Numbers 25. Um, one of the most tragic things in the history of Israel, one of their great kings, uh, the one who was chosen to dedicate the temple, uh, who was the wisest man who ever lived, got into an amazing amount of trouble because he didn't take to heart this idea of being faithful and obeying God. He was faithless to God. So we look at his life, we've, we learn he's not fully sold out to God. He ends up selling out to pagan women who lead him to worship false gods. In 1 Kings 3, I'm talking about Solomon, uh, we read, uh, listen to this in 1 Kings 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David. But he also, but he also offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. In 1 Kings 10, Solomon deliberately disobeys God. He starts accumulating chariots, horses, um, and then he gets this pride enters his heart and he thinks he's beyond temptation. And 1 Kings 11, this is the, the downfall of Solomon. Listen to this in verse 2. They were from nations, talking about the women, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He, Solomon, had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. See, it's, it's never been God's plan for believers to marry unbelievers. God's covenant people were to be set apart because God understood that the inclination of a, a man's heart would be easily led astray to false gods. Uh, Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. This idea of uh, the concept of being uh, unequally yoked is actually taken from Deuteronomy uh, 22 and verse 10. The Israelites are told um, 
not to plow with uh, an ox, which is a clean animal, and a donkey, an unclean animal. You don't yoke those two things together, they're told in Deuteronomy 22, because they're incompatible. They, they don't cooperate because their natures and temperaments are in, unbelievably different. And so Paul borrows that language in 2 Corinthians to say, look, don't be unequally yoked. You need, if you're a Christ follower, you need to marry a Christ follower. Um, here, here's, how, here's how it happens. Right? Here's how we get led astray and become faith, faithless or we break the faith. Uh, if you're not fully committed to Christ, you're going to be tempted to compromise and give your heart to someone who isn't sold out to Jesus. And that's going to cause you to head down this slippery slope that can lead to a spiritual free fall. Uh, on the other hand, if you... Uh, commit yourself to be fully devoted to God. You can make the decision right now and avoid uh, allowing your emotions to be connected to someone who's not a Christ follower. Um, here, here's the reality. If you choose to unite yourself with, a, with an unbeliever and you are a believer, um, what we're learning from this passage here is that you, you're desecrating the holiness of God. There is, a, there is a possibility that your desire for human intimacy can lead your heart to grow cold toward your father. Verse 12 shows us that if um, you take a, a spiritual soulmate that turns their back on God, I mean, it just sounds, it's, this sounds harsh. Listen, God says, uh, as for the man who does this, may he be cut off. Like, if you turn your back on God, this passage is saying there, there's a chance, right, that you could be led so far astray. That's, that's a terrifying warning. We're to keep faith with others by um, making every effort. And we're to keep faith with God by saying, I'm going to keep your commandments. I'm not going to be led astray by idols by the worship of false gods in any relationship um if the let me let me say this if the choice of a marriage partner is still in front of you right you haven't done that you need to settle in your mind right now that you will not marry someone that doesn't love the lord jesus if you're a teenager and you're watching this uh, you're not too young to make that decision. In fact, my counsel would be, don't even date someone who doesn't love Jesus. Missionary dating does not work. Um, just, just make a commitment between you and the Lord right now that your, your spouse is going to be someone that loves Jesus. So that, that leads us to the, to the third way where we need to keep the faith, and we need to keep the faith with our spouse. This, this is an important section, and some of these verses are hard, but I, I think if you think about how marriage in the Bible is presented, it's like one of the most incredible images God gives us of his relationship with his people. If you see in verse 13, it says, You have flooded the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail. 
Like these, these priests have gotten to this point where there's this level of self-deception and they go through the motions. Like they are, they are literally making sacrifices to the Lord and divorce, divorcing their wives and going after pagan women who worship other gods and are making sacrifices to those gods. And we would call them hypocrites. Here's the thing about a hypocrite. They don't know they're hypocrites. Right? Hypocrisy blinds us to that. Um, we rarely see the gap when we're in this place where these priests are. We can't see the gap between our religious practice and our sin. And we need, we need to pray that God would do a miracle in us and make us single-hearted uh, to pursue the Lord. Here's, when we look at these verses, here's what we need to see in this. God loves marriage. It's an incredible picture of his love for us. Think about this. The Bible begins with a marriage, Adam and Eve in the garden, and it ends with a marriage. Genesis and Revelation, bookends of the Bible. The marriage in Revelation is between Jesus and his bride, the church. So this marriage matters to God. He loves it. Look at how he describes it. Uh, he's a witness between the two of you. The, the wife is your partner. There's this covenant you've made. And God says, if you break the covenant with her, you're breaking the covenant with me. Now, while we see there that God loves marriage, here's the thing we can't we cannot run from. We can't water this down. We can't act like this isn't in the passage. God loves marriage, but God hates divorce. Now, now let, me, let me say this. If, if you are a divorced person, look at what it says. It says, I hate divorce. God does not hate divorced people. God loves you. Remember how Malachi starts in chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Some of you are victims of divorce. Some of you are suffering through right now some incredible pain. And whatever your circumstances are, hear this. God does not hate you. God loves you. Here's the thing. God hates the things that harm us. God hates actions that we do that harm others. And when you look at these verses and you see that, that uh, God's not paying attention to their offerings because they've broken their marriage vows, th that's a warning to us that we need to take seriously the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. For, for a lot of time in the church, we have ignored that. And we... Uh, we need to fall on our face and ask God for forgiveness and, and, and lift up this picture of marriage that we get in the Bible, that it is a sacred union between a man and a woman that is a picture of something so much bigger. These verses call us to be faithful. We're called to be faithful to fellow believers. We're called to be faithful to our God. When we're faithless to other believers and to the church, we're faithless to God. When we're faithless to our spouse, we are faithless to God. 
So when we think about marriage and we realize how important it is, this is why it matters. If we break the marriage covenant, we are distorting how God loves his people. If, if you go to uh, Ephesians 5, it's going to be very familiar to a lot of people. Some of you may have even had this read at your wedding. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The marriage is supposed to be a picture of this. There's this incredible mystery of God's creative power that happens when a husband and a wife join together. They become one flesh. And Paul says, that's a mystery. Here's what it represents. Hear this. Christ and the church. Your marriage is supposed to represent Jesus' love for his bride, the church. And so when we kind of, we make this casual uh, application to marriage that, you know, I'm just going to try this out and if it gets hard, I'm just going to walk away. We are dishonoring God because what we're saying to the world is Christ could walk away from his church. Well, we know that's not true, right? Christ will never leave his bride, never forsake his bride. And so the reason marriage matters to God is because it's got to be a picture of God's love for his people. Now, when you hear that, you may think, man, that's harsh. What about me? What about, I'm, I'm divorced. I'm going through a marriage right now that's a wreck. Listen, there is hope. When, when you realize this, that God is faithful, and the greatest picture of his faithfulness is when he sent his son Jesus to die for his bride. That's, that's where your hope has to lie. No matter, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, or how hurt you are right now, listen to these words and, and let it kind of soak into your spirit. Psalm uh, 103 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you will bring whatever hurt, anger, pain you have to Jesus, he'll remove it from you. In Psalm 105, he says, He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. Because he is a covenant-keeping, faithful God. You and I can keep our covenants with each other. 
This passage is a call to be faithful. it's, uh, It's not an invitation if you're a believer. It's a command. Here's the difference between a command and an invitation. An invitation is what Jesus extends to people that don't know him. So if you're watching this right now and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, this is an invitation for you to come to the one who is faithful. He never breaks a promise. He always loves. He will never forsake. So if you're broken and hurting and you feel like your life is a wreck, come to Jesus. That's the invitation. But if you are a Christ follower, this isn't an invitation for you. This is a command. And a command is not something to consider or think about. A command is something to be lived out right now. So if you're a believer, this is the challenge for you. Would, would you take a moment right now to just say, you know what, Lord, I made a covenant promise to you and to my spouse. And I'm going to, from, from today, from this moment, begin to live it out and to be faithful because you are a faithful God. And I want to show the world you are by being faithful to the promises I've made. And the only way you and I can do that is through surrendering to Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit do a work in our life to transform us into the likeness of his son, the promise-keeping Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word, and and these are some hard words to read um, for any of us, but we see your holiness Uh, portrayed in your characteristic of faithfulness, that you are a faithful God. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. You keep your promise. And you want your people, your children, to keep their promises and to be faithful. So God, you help us do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.